Hey, well, good morning and welcome to Tri-Cities Church. Um, if you're your first time with us, my name is Wesley. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're so glad that you chose to worship with us this morning. Um, this morning, we, um, I just want to introduce Kevin over here um, to, to talk a little bit about our, uh, our Family Fun Day and Benefit Concert that we're having on October 13th. This is an exciting time for our church, and this event is an exciting event that we're, that we're putting on uh, for the community. And it's really an opportunity to, for us to portray, to display how strong God is and what God is doing through different ministries in the area, particularly the ministry of beloved Atlanta, to, to release people from, um, from modern-day slavery, from sex trafficking, to release people from that, and to begin them on a road to recovery. And so on October 13th, we're putting on this event. Um, that's going to be a benefit concert for Beloved Atlanta, a, a ministry that specifically addresses that problem, which is so prevalent in our, in our area. And so Kevin Robinson over here, some of you know him, some of you have met him. If you haven't, let me introduce him to you. This is Kevin, and he's going to share with you a little bit about, <laughs> he's going to share with you a little bit about how he came to be involved in, in, at Tri-Cities Church and in this event, and, uh, and also encourage you to get involved as well. All right. Good afternoon. Uh, thanks, Wesley, and thanks, Wesley and Jamie, for asking me to do this. Um, when we talked about it earlier this week, um, they asked if I could kind of speak um, as one of one of you um, as to what it means to me to be involved. And, and I sent them an email saying, okay, this is what I want to talk about. It was... Uh, Jamie's response was, that's awesome, I love it, but um, can you leave Wesley a little bit of time to preach? And so I went back to the drawing board and cut it down, and I sent it again, and, and Jamie said, I think that's great. And I said, well, I'm considering whether to just read it or try and wing it. And he said, well, I say you speak from your heart and, uh, and keep something there in case you, in case you panic. And uh, what he didn't realize is if I speak from my heart, Jamie won't, or Wesley won't have any time to uh, preach again. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, try as smoothly as possible to go ahead and read what I've put, um, even though that may, delivery may not be the best suited. But uh, Last week, Jamie and I were trying to figure out how to get people as excited as we are about our beloved event, Atlanta event. Um, I think part of it is the simple fact that we know everything that's going on, so um, we know what there is to get excited about. And the other part of it is kind of that feeling of excitement that a parent gets when they have their child going to their first recital or their first ball game. Um, our dilemma is how we can bridge that gap so that everyone in the church can share the same excitement that we feel for the event. Um, it's kind of a chicken or egg dilemma. You know, you, you, um, it's really, in order to get really excited about something, you have to be involved in it. But in order to be involved in something, uh, if you're not very excited about it, you're not going to be involved. So that means there needs to be something else that brings us to that tipping point. I'm speaking to you because not long ago, I might have felt the same way many of you do about getting involved in this event. Um, my conversation with my wife would have went something like this. Hey, that sounds great, Kara. We ought to try and do that. Let's see if we don't have anything going on that weekend. And then uh, we would never revisit the topic until someone puts us on the spot, and then we have to make up an excuse on the fly. Um, that was before I reached my tipping point. Um, going back a little, I was drawn to Tri-Cities after being away from the church for over 25 years. Um, I didn't stray away from the church because I lost my faith in God. It was more that I didn't have faith in my church. 
when Wesley cautions us against um, practicing our faith like we're going down a checklist, it really speaks to the way I felt about my church when I was growing up. I felt like the emphasis was more on making sure that everything on that list was checked off rather than being thoughtful about those actions and doing them with a purpose. From the moment we were first introduced to Tri-Cities Church back in January, our family was welcomed with open hearts. Within a couple weeks, we felt like this was a church we could be ourselves in, and by the third week, we were attending city group meetings, and the relationships deepened. Tri-Cities is a church that allows me to talk about my doubts and fears, grow spiritually in in a way that has meaning, as opposed to satisfying a checklist, and it helps me learn how to pray and to serve God. We all have a story, and, <clears throat> and we all may be in different places spiritually. Some of you may have chapters in your spiritual book of life that are similar to mine, while some of you may have stories that wouldn't even be found in my bookstore. Uh, but the beautiful thing is we are all loved equally by God, regardless of our story, and we're all accepted equally at Tri-Cities Church. I believe that is a big reason why many of us are here. Long before Tri-Cities existed, I was friends with one of its original members, Josh Nolan. This is another reason why, because I will obviously be speaking from the heart even as I'm reading. Um, Josh Nolan. Over time, as people often do, our our lives took us in, in different directions. So when I started receiving text messages from Josh on a weekly basis that said something like, join us for Serving Saturday, I had no idea what they were about, but I figured based on the history of our friendship that he wanted me to help with a tailgating party or something. (laughs) If you know Josh or have ever been on his contact list, it wouldn't surprise you to know that that I received these text messages every week without fail for six months. It didn't matter whether you responded or not, Josh wasn't going to give up until he got you to give in. It wasn't until after I started attending city groups with Josh that I learned what these messages were all about. And my guess could not have been any further from reality. Every week, Josh was recruiting people to join him in serving others. Around that time, Josh's, Josh's mission was helping families whose lives were literally torn apart by the tornado outbreaks. There were times when those Text messages went unanswered, and Josh would drive by himself for hours to help people he had never before met salvage what was left of their lives and clean up their neighborhoods. It was upon hearing this selfless story that I began to realize how life-changing it could be to serve others, for both the giver and the receiver. Not long before that, I was filling out an application for a school scholarship, and was asked to explain what community service meant to me. I hadn't done much of it at all and reasoned that being a full-time student with a family did not allow me the time for community service. It was after witnessing this giving nature of the people of Tri-Cities Church, like Josh, that I realized what a cop-out that was. One Saturday morning, not long after that realization, I received a text from Josh asking for volunteers to help someone in our church. At that moment, mentally I was probably where many of you are, when we talk about the need for volunteers. I had great intentions, but I still figured out a way to talk myself out of it. The next day at Citigroup, as several people were talking about the experience, I was saddened and disappointed that I did not allow my heart, did not follow my heart, and break that cycle of inaction. That was my personal tipping point, at which I made a personal commitment to get involved and help whenever I had the opportunity. Helping with Sunday morning setups in Hapeville, 
helping pull out the church pews here to make the transition to this building, paint the town in Hapeville, City Kids Fest. Serving others had become an addiction. And when the opportunity to help out with this event came up, I could not resist. Wesley and Jamie shared with me their vision of getting the word out about Tri-Cities, not by telling the world what we're all about, but by showing the world. And what a better way than through this event. And it struck me as an approach that exemplifies who we are. Wesley is starting the Relationship Series today, and there is no better way to strengthen relationships than by working side-by-side side with someone for the good of another. If you are on the fence like I was, finding excuses to not get involved, I encourage you, break that cycle. Let God's call to serve get you to your tipping point. Be a part of making a difference in this church. Be a part of impacting a ministry devoted to helping young men and women restore their lives. Be a part of making a difference in your own life and strengthening your relationship with God. Help show the Tri-Cities area what makes this church so special, its feeling of community and the giving nature of its people. We'll be back there after church today, and if anybody could help in any way they can, please, I encourage you to do so. It's a, it's a great opportunity to bring this church together and to show everybody what we're about and serve God and serve a great cause. Thanks. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, one of the things that we value at Tri-Cities Church is stories. And we talk a lot about stories and the fact that we all have our own individual story. We come from different backgrounds, different places in life, different ethnicities. And, um, and in many ways, our lives are shaped by the stories that we find ourselves in. I mean, then we come together with these different stories that shape us. And God does something miraculous and God does something beautiful when we gather as people who've been shaped by our stories. So we value that. We value telling stories and listening to stories um, because they show the diversity, the beautiful diversity that's in God's creation. Well, as Kevin said, we're beginning a new series this morning on relationships. I'm super excited about this series um, because relationships are so important in our world. In fact, you can't live without them. Um, when you came in, you should have gotten one of these um, one of these handouts. These are what we use in our city groups. Uh, it has questions for consideration and conversation. We use these in our city groups, which are just small groups to gather in people's homes, uh, to study the scriptures and to reflect on the sermon and to enter in discussion about what we talked about on Sunday morning. And so you should have gotten one of these. As we go through this series, which will be just four weeks, um, this will be extremely helpful to help you go deeper into uh, questions about relationships and what it looks like uh, to be in relationship with others in a way that honors God, in a way that's healthy for yourself as well. And so please, if you got one of those, if you didn't get one of those, we should have more in the back. Grab one of those. It's just a helpful way to reflect and do kind of a devotion time throughout the week. Amen. Let's, um, let's pray before we, uh, before we enter into this new series. God, we give you thanks uh, this morning. We give you thanks that you... Um, that you are our God, that you didn't leave us to wonder um, about your nature, but that you've chosen to reveal yourself to us, that you didn't leave us to wonder about our nature and who we were created to be, but you've revealed your plan for us in the scriptures. 
And so, God, I just pray that as we open them this morning, that you will guide us, that you will lead us, that you will help us to understand uh, what we have here um, is not just word from man, but word from God that leads man and woman into right relationship with you and into right relationship with others. God, our desire is that we will honor you through all that we do. It's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so this morning we're beginning this new series, and it's simply called uh, Relationship Matters. And so we're talking about relationship matters simply because relationships matter, right? Relationships are important. I typed the word relationship into a Google search this week and came up with 598 million results, right? There's a lot of stuff out there on the internet about relationships, right? It's one of the questions, one of the things as we go through life, we're all striving to have healthier and better relationships, right? There's all kinds of stuff out there. And half of the stuff, at least that I came across at the first few pages was stuff like five ways to a better relationship or or 29 ways to keep your relationship from failing or uh, uh, eight ways to have a healthier way. It was stuff like that. It was these kind of these lists, almost like these checklists of things you could do to have a healthy, a stronger relationship. The reality is we're people who live in relationship with others. It's unavoidable. We have to be in relationship with others unless you're going to lock yourself in a room and not come out, which does not sound fun, by the way. You have to live in relationship with others. And so relationships are important. And the scriptures teach us that relationships are not just important to us, but they're important to God, that God desires to be in relationship with us. And God desires to walk with us into healthier relationships with others. You see, your relationships have enormous potential to shape our lives. One of the things that we were saying last week as I introduced this series, as I, as I spoke about it and told you that it was up and coming, was that, um, that our relationships ultimately affect the quality of our lives. They have an enormous potential to shape our lives. They can be the source of some of life's greatest joys, right? Some of our relationships can bring us joy beyond what we ever imagined. Being in a healthy marriage can do that, right? Having a good relationship with your children can do that. Having a good relationship with a friend or a coworker who stands beside you and and helps you through life, that can do that. That can be some of life's greatest joy and satisfaction. Maybe think back to a relationship that you found great joy in or a time in a relationship when it felt like you were on cloud nine. See, relationships can bring us some of life's greatest joys, but also some of our deepest pain comes from our relationships. That relationship, that marriage maybe that started strong, but got a little rocky. Maybe that relationship with a child that was wonderful, and then at some point, maybe you can't even pinpoint when, but things began to get a little a little rocky and it was hard to relate and maybe that child says some stuff and you can't believe that you you're hearing what you were hearing you see our relationships have the potential to bring us life's greatest joys but the reality is they bring about some of life's most deep pains things beyond what we ever imagined they could And the interesting thing about our relationships is that one single relationship has the ability to bring about great joy and pain, great sorrow and great happiness. One relationship can do 
both. I remember talking to one of my mentors back when I was in college and uh, asking him about marriage, right? This was the question that was on most young men's mind, this kind of question about marriage and what was it like, right? We were, we were, I was at Bible College. I was actually here at what was at that point Atlanta Christian College. And, and Bible College students uh, often were looking for a wife and women, and, and women were looking for a husband. And I remember asking my mentor what it was like to be married. And he said this, and I'll never forget it. He said, when it's good, it's good. <laughs> but when it's bad, And it almost felt like this strange look came over his face, like he knew from experience. When it's bad, it's bad. (laughs) And I tell you, at that point in my life, I began to take relationships a lot more seriously. All right, now this morning, we're not just talking about marriage relationships. We're talking about all different kinds of relationships because the reality is we're in relationship in our home. We're in relationship at our workplace. We're relationship when we go out to the store. We're constantly relating to other people. We're constantly entering into conversation and relationship with other people. Our relationships have an enormous potential to shape our life experiences. But the good thing is that we have power to shape our relationships. Now, I realize that every relationship takes at least two people. There's no such thing as a relationship with yourself, right? You have two people in a relationship, and there's two sides to the coin, and you can't affect the outcome every time, right? There's nothing that you can do to determine for certain what the outcome or what a relationship will look like. But you do have power in your relationships. You do have power to change, to influence, to shape your relationships, And what the scriptures are challenging us to do is not to worry about how someone else that we're in relationship with acts or responds to us, but to challenge ourselves and to ask ourselves this central question, and that's how can I or what can I do to shape my relationships in a healthy and positive way? I remember when I was in premarital counseling, our our counselor told us this very important truth, and he said, you cannot change someone else but you can change yourself. And so the question of relationship is always not about whether this person's going to meet me halfway, but it's how am I going to respond to the relationship that I'm in? How am I going to live in light of the situation that I find myself in? How am I going to respond to what this person has said or has done or has treated me? How am I going to respond? Because we have enormous power to shape our relationships, to influence our relationships. And so when we get into the scriptures, the scriptures begin to teach that love is the most powerful thing that we can do to shape our relationships. That love is the most powerful thing that we can do to shape our relationships. You know, we talk a lot about love, but very rarely do we define love. And I began wrestling through this definition of love this week. And I could not come up, or at least I had a challenging time coming up with a a clear and concise definition for love and what it actually looks like and how we would explain it. And I think the closest that I got to, judging from what the Scripture says and also how we experience love, is love is about pursuing the well-being of another for for their own sake. Love is about pursuing the well-being of another for their own sake. Not for our own sake, but for their own sake. 
It's about sacrificing our own desires and even our own wishes at times so that we can pursue the well-being of another, knowing maybe at at the forefront or maybe uncertain whether there's going to be any reward for ourselves, whether anything is going to be coming back to us because of our loving actions. You see, it's pursuing the well-being of another. And it's not dependent upon in any way how that other will respond to our loving actions that pursue their well-being. And so love is all about giving. And it doesn't ask the question about what I will receive from what I give. You see, Jesus modeled this by giving his life. He gave his life for us. He sacrificed for us without any thought to what he would receive in return. You know, Jesus teaches us to make love a priority in our life. In Matthew chapter 22, there's this guy that comes to Jesus and he begins this conversation with him. In fact, he's an expert in the law. You could probably say that he was a a lawyer. And he comes to Jesus and he begins to ask Jesus about, um, about the greatest commandment. And I want you to hear what Jesus says, how Jesus responds to this man. This is in Matthew chapter 22. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start reading a few verses earlier than what's on the screen. I'm going to read in verse 34, and I think the screen is going to pick up in verse 36. It says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, a man that knew the law from cover to cover, the rules of God, he knew what, the, what it said. An expert in the law tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so what Jesus was teaching that that guy that day, when he asked, what's the greatest commandment? Now, they had a list of commandments. I think it was 600-some-odd different commandments. And he's challenging Jesus, if you're this good teacher, right, if you're this guy that, that has wisdom into God's word and God's will, then what's the greatest commandment? He was really trying to set Jesus up. And Jesus responds, love others, love God, love others. There's two commandments that God is ultimately concerned about. And that's our relationship with God, right? That we love God, that we be in a right relationship with God, and that that relationship influences our other relationships. That we love God first, and then we're able to love others uh, more rightly or perfectly because of our relationship or our love for God. And so Jesus begins to tell them that if you want to have right relationships with others, you need a right relationship with God because it's out of the overflow of your relationship with God that you'll begin to love other people genuinely and authentically. You see, Jesus is teaching us here to make love a priority, that it's the most important thing for us to pursue in our lives. In fact, that it's a lifestyle that we take on and every day that we wake up, Every morning when we rise, the most important thing that we are to do is to pursue a love relationship with God and to love other people. You know, Jesus taught some hard lessons. In Matthew 5, we just did this series on the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 5, it's just several chapters earlier from where we just were. In Matthew 5, Jesus teaches us that we're even to love the people that we do not like. 
Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse, uh, verse 43. It says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. That would be nice, wouldn't it? But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So don't just say, I love them, but actively show that relationship. Pray for those who persecute you. So those who are living actively in opposition to you or even have, um, who don't have your best interest at heart, who are out to get you, Jesus is saying, pray for those who are out to get you, who are actively every day. And you might have a coworker in mind right now or somebody that you come in, in contact with from day to day. Jesus is saying, begin praying for that person. Love them and begin praying for that person that you may, in verse 45, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Right? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Tax collectors were like the, the um, like criminals or whatever. They were, they were looked down upon. They were thought of as the kind of the chief sinners, the worst that you could be. Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? People who aren't religious at all, who have no pursuit for God, aren't they doing the same thing? It says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So strive for this God-like love. Strive to love others, not just those who love us, not just that person that treats us right, but that person that treats us poorly, that person that's out to get us. He says, not only are you to love those who show you love first, but love those who persecute you. Love your enemies. You see, this is a hard teaching by Jesus. What he's getting at is that love becomes not something that's selective, but it becomes a part of our lifestyle. It becomes a part of the very fiber of our being. As we give ourselves to God, as we love God more, as we learn to trust God, we begin to release some of these um, vengeful and maybe uh, uh, these tactics of payback. And we learn that it's better to love and that by loving, by obeying God, that when we love, God comes and meets us in our relationships and he honors our efforts. And that ultimately the best way to a healthier relationship is through love. I love this verse in Colossians 3. If you have your Bible, you can turn there with me. In Colossians 3, there's this, um, there's this verse that begins where, where um, Paul is teaching the church. And he begins to teach the church uh, this essential principle when we talk about love. Because I think we're always wrestling with this concept of what is love and what does love look like in my life. And a lot of times love plays out for us in these disconnected events, right? These things that we do that we feel are acts of love, and they end up being disconnected. Because at one moment we're doing uh, maybe good things or treating someone in a very kind or gentle way. And the next moment we find that we're kind of exploding and, and maybe being mean or, or, um, or, 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 or acting in a way that's not very... Um, friendly or helpful to them and in colossians chapter 3 verse 12 look at what 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 paul writes here he says therefore as god's chosen people holy and dearly loved clothe yourselves with compassion kindness humility gentleness and patience bear with each other and forgive one another if if anyone has a grievance against someone 
Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And so he says, you have these different virtues, and the goal in life is not just to, to kind of integrate these different virtues into your life, to pull in a little kindness, to pull in a little gentleness, to pull in a little humility, and, and to do right or do good to people a little bit here and there. But it's this overarching theme of love, right? It's this lifestyle of love that takes over. Right, this ultimate concern for the well-being of others without any look after our own uh, sake, but this concern for the well-being of others, this overarching lifestyle of love that binds all these actions together in unity. And so he, what he's teaching is love is only authentic when it's in relationship with others or our actions toward others are only authentic when they're shaped by this lifestyle of love that we can do kind things and we can muster up the guts to do something nice to someone, but it's only genuine and authentic when it's done in this lifestyle of love. And so what Jesus is teaching is that he doesn't want us just forcing ourselves to do good things for others or planning, all right, today I'm going to put all my energy into showing this person, oh boy, that I love them or I love him, or I love her. But this just becomes a part of my being. That it begins to flow out of who I am. This is challenging. It's hard. It does not happen overnight. But progressively we'll find ourselves, if we put forth the effort, the energy, if we receive God's help and pray for God's help, we will find that progressively and more and more, we will find ourselves not doing things that we used to do. And that if someone rubs us the wrong way, we'll find ourselves loving them. And so I challenge you, maybe you're thinking about somebody right now that's on your mind and you've had a hard time showing love for this person. Or maybe there's a relationship that you're thinking about and this relationship is close to the end. You're ready to cut it off. I challenge you, don't cut it off. Don't give up yet continue to push through and put into this practice of love that jesus begins to teach in the scriptures begin practicing love towards this person and see if god honors your effort because god does because god sees our efforts and he knows when it's genuine he knows he would not command us to do this if he wasn't going to meet us at our place of relationship with others and honor his commitment to us. You see, the reality is when the Bible teaches us about love, it's teaching us that love must be a daily decision. It's something that we have to choose to do. That every morning when I wake up, I have to say, I have to remind myself that I'm going to be more loving. I have to make up in my mind that that's the life that I'm choosing to live because love does not come natural for any of us. It's not something that comes easily. It's not a part of who we are. Our natural uh, tendency is to look out for our own interest and to, to, uh, to not want to have anything to do with those who do wrong to us. But Jesus is calling us to a different lifestyle. And there's that scripture in Romans that says, while we were God's enemies, 
He loved us. You know, I love the fact that God portrayed for us what this looks like in relationship with human beings. That he didn't just say, go and do what I have not already done and what I have not already put the energy and effort into. You see, God made a decision to love us, and he's challenging us to make that same decision. I remember when I first started dating my wife, and, um, and you know, there's this, we were in college, we're actually here at college, um, and our relationship began to grow and it began to deepen. And, uh, you know, here I am, I don't know, I remember how old I was at the time, 20s, early 20s, and, uh, and I began to have these feelings towards her that I had a hard time putting words to. Um, and I'm sitting there and I'm wondering, is this love? <laughs> and um, in the midst of that, I'm thinking, I think so, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> um, I was always afraid of this idea that I was going to say, I love you. And then she was going to say, uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, and so one day we're at the end of a date. And I remember the night's kind of coming to an end. I'm dropping her off at her dorm room. And she says, I love you, to me. And my response probably wasn't the most helpful. I said, how do you know that you love me? I was like, you barely know me. Like, I've been alive 20-some-odd years. You've known me 20-some-odd days. I don't know how long it was. Um, But how do you know that you love me? And that evening, she taught me something very important about love. Because her response was, I'm choosing to love you. I'm making a decision to love you. And it was something that I grew up into understanding because I still didn't get it at that minute. I said, that doesn't make any sense. Right? You fall into love. Love isn't something you choose to do. But it wasn't until times got a little tougher and we were married there became those there came those days where I didn't feel like loving her right and she didn't feel like loving me and she learned just how difficult it was to live with me just as I learned how difficult it was for me to live with her and those moments came in our life and in our relationship where we were relying on that love as a feeling then we wouldn't have acted very lovely toward one another You see, the scriptures are teaching us that love is a decision, not just the romantic kind of love. I love this. I I found this quote this week by Albert Einstein. He says, uh, gravitation is not responsible for people falling, falling into love. If anybody would know, it would be Albert Einstein. But the reality is that we're um, we're drawn into these relationships where we love someone whether that's a a romantic relationship or whether it's a friendship. And oftentimes, it's based upon the role that that person plays in our life and what that person does and what we have to receive or gain from this relationship. But remember, love is about pursuing the well-being of others for their own sake. It's not about what we stand to receive or gain. And so it must be a decision. It must be something that we choose daily to do. In fact, the language that we use for love betrays itself, this idea of falling into love or being drawn into love, because Jesus commands us to love. And if love was based upon a feeling or an emotion, 
then life would be a lot easier if you could command feelings and command emotions. You see, if you're having a good day and everything in your life is falling into place, and I come up to you and I say, be sad, or if God says, be sad, it's just not going to happen. Or if everything seems to be falling around upon, around, falling down around you, and, and you're just having a hard day, and you're extremely sad, and, some, and, and you read in Scripture or something like that, or, or somebody says to you, be happy, right? it, it's just not that easy. Because you can't command emotions or feelings. But God commands us to love. And so love can't be based upon how we're feeling at the moment, but about a decision that we make. That, listen, I'm going to honor God in this way. You see, love is the dominant relationship value in the scriptures. It's what Jesus teaches us. It's the dominant relationship value. And it only becomes a dominant relationship value for us when we make it a priority and daily we make the decision to love those who do wrong to us, to love those who are unlovely, to love those that who are, when it's hard to love them. I want to challenge you this week, and I'm going to challenge myself this same challenge, right? And that's to maybe pick a person. And this is a hard thing to do because I'm sure for many of us, there's a, there's a face that pops into your head. Right, Pick a person that's been unlovely to you and practice this on them. Choose to love them this week. Choose to show them love. Choose to act in their well-being or for their well-being without any look after what you will receive in return or what effect it will have on the relationship, but simply for their own sake. That's a challenge. And I challenge you to see what God does and let that become a part of your story. Because our lives are shaped by stories. And I love to say from time to time, from time to time, that God writes his record of faithfulness in our own lives. And so as you practice this, it's not about the scripture saying, love those who are your enemies. And God will honor that. But it's saying, I love those who are my enemies. I love those that was difficult to love. And God has shown me that he's met me in that relationship and he's honored my efforts. Now, I'm not saying, because remember, relationships, all relationships have two sides. I'm not saying that you're going to go and you're going to love that person and they're no longer going to do anything evil or mean or malicious to you. Because that's just not reality. But I am saying that God honors those relationships and he meets us there and God begins to teach us something and God begins to shape us in ways that we might be more like him. You see, there's two ways that we learn best what love looks like. We learn from Jesus Christ himself. We learn that Jesus forgave us of our sins. And so love means that we also have to be forgiving toward others. We also have to be willing to forgive others, to let some things go. And then we learn that Jesus accepted us where we were in life. He didn't make us get to some point of excellence or point of perfection where we had it all together, but he accepted us just at the place where we were in life. You know, this week I went um, to North Carolina. I met with a, um, a group of church planners up in North Carolina for this conference. 
and I wrote with this guy, Jarrett Merle, who's up in uh, Winder, Georgia, and he's just planted this church called Story Church. And uh, we, we rode up to North Carolina together, and we rode back, and when we got to his house, I'll never forget this moment, or maybe I will forget it, but it was pretty impressive at the moment. Uh, but we pulled up in his driveway, right, and he opens his car door and gets out the car, and the front door of his house flies open. And I mean, it looked like a torpedo coming out of the house. I mean, his son flew down the front steps, straight out the door, and Jared kneeled down. He's a big guy. He kneeled down with his arms wide open, and his son came flying into his arms, and he picked him up in the air. Um, and his son did that because he knew he was accepted by his father. The scriptures teach us that God not only forgave us, but he accepts us. And that's what love looks, looks like. It, it, God is not blind. God sees our wrongs. He looks at them and says, I know the wrong you've done, but I'm making the decision to love you, to forgive you, to accept you, and to walk with you through this life. You know, in our life, we can integrate that same principle we can forgive those who've done wrong to us. We can accept them with arms wide open. They may not come running into our arms. Uh, but acceptance is powerful. And as we continue to accept, just as God has chosen to accept us, it has this way of melting our hearts and drawing us into relationships that are healthier. We're beginning this series called uh, Relationship Matters, right? And you can't begin talking about relationships without talking about love. And I want to challenge you this week to just reflect on what it looks like to love others. You know, there's times that we've failed to love. And one of the best ways that we can learn to love is looking back at those times that we've failed to love. Because if we're always moving forward and never looking back, we're headed for a, for a disaster. We have to look back and we have to learn from our mistakes and learn from our failures. And in that way, we can shape our lives in the future in a way that we act more lovely towards others. If we're always looking, moving forward and never looking back, we're headed for disaster. You know, Jesus gathered around a table with his disciples and shared this meal with them. And for them, that was a moment where they reflected upon three years that they spent with Jesus and learned from him. Over that time, they had developed these deep relationships with him. Their lives had began to change. The same way when we spend time with Jesus, we begin to have this deep relationship where we love him. Maybe in ways that we never thought imaginable. Maybe deeper than we ever thought. Maybe we find ourselves giving up some things and doing some things and living in ways that we never could see ourselves doing. And it's all because of this relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. It's because we've reflected on that relationship. And as a result of reflecting on it, we're learning from it. And so when these disciples gathered around a table with Jesus, they reflected upon the time they spent with Jesus. And they began to learn from that time. And they began to move forward. You see, that was one of the last meals that Jesus would share with his disciples because he was going to the cross. And then after going to the cross, he returned to heaven. And he sent those men. He sent those disciples. 
on mission for him. And that mission was ultimately a love mission to show the world the love of God. You know, God hasn't stopped doing that. He still calls us to the table. And when we come to the table, we reflect on our time that we've spent with Jesus. And we reflect on how our lives have been changed by that time. And we reflect on the things that we've done and the times we failed to love and the times we act unlovely. But we reflect on those times so that we might move forward and not head for disaster. This Sunday is every Sunday we have the table set up where it's an opportunity for you to gather around the table and share with in this meal with Jesus. To come and maybe reflect on your life and reflect on maybe ways that you've acted unlovely towards others and make a commitment to do differently. Make a commitment to move forward in a new way. And so we're going to sing this song and it's kind of a closing song but also a song of reflection. And as we sing this song, feel free to just come to one of these four tables and share in communion if that's meaningful to you. If it's not, don't feel any pressure to do so. Also, there's these offering buckets on the table. Uh, If you came prepared to give, feel free to do so at this time. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks um, that you call us into relationship with you. God, we um, are especially thankful right now that in relationship with you, we're healed from the wounds of our past. God, sometimes these wounds prevent us from acting lovely. And so, God, I pray for your healing over our emotions, over our thoughts, over our desires over our natural inclinations. God, I pray for your healing. God, that in relationship with you, we might be made whole. And as we're made whole, we're sent out into this world to live in a new and different way. God, may we experience your peace and your power transforming us that we might live new, that our relationships might be restored, that those that have hurt us might be released and that we might be released, that we might find a new freedom in you. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.